in there with his tiny little paws and stick legs and arms and little head that has not grown. He's just like a little singularity. He's the, he's the sing- singularity. He is the dense little little pinpoint ball from which the entire universe has exploded. That's Vlad. I think we're ready to go. Okay, I'm just... Uh... This is how you can tell. Right. It's sparkling water. Mm-hmm. I think we'll do it this way instead. Jill's just uh, darning a sweater here. Yep. The infamous sweater darning project (laughs) continues, is started. Here's the thing about me. For the new year. Is that this is why people are always like, why don't you sell your knitting or do this professionally? I'm very slow and I hate commissions, so it doesn't really work. Well, that makes two of us. Yeah. I think that's how an ordinary person should respond. (laughs) To such a request. But uh, just for some context, today is December 31st, 2021. Yep. Tomorrow it will be January 1st, 2022. Yep. So. Hey. Oh. Cat squabbles. Cats, cats are squabbling. Jill's on, uh, still on hiatus. Yep. It's cold as Heck. a... Yes, heck. Cold as heck. I wasn't going to say what my f- former co-worker Jim would have said. <laughs> um, I believe you were about... I knew what you were going to say. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Yeah. Uh, minus 40-something with the wind chill, depending on which uh, weather app you use. Mine's not as... Mine's not as dire as yours. No. But still, it's Mine's cold. the government one, out. though, so... I, I had to... Um, I used the Weather Network or the Weather Channel app for a long time. And then I started getting ads for like basically softcore porn on the Weather app. And I just got tired of it. So I switched to the government app um, because there are no ads. No, the ads are based on your search history. Ha! <laughs> they were not. Uh, they were like Ford F 150 trucks. And then like. Are you getting my singles. targeted ads? I don't know. Maybe. Are you searching up trucks? You signed into my account by accident. (laughs) Well, we've done and had the Christmas, and we've done and had the Omicron Christmas. I'm all all boosted up. I got my booster yesterday. Yeah, Feeling a little oogie, but not the worst. No, I was boosted, uh, was it December 6th? So I've been boosted for a while. Same deal. It's only half a dose, so you kind of feel a little bit Uggs for um, a few hours the next day. It sort of seems like, but nothing too, nothing too dire. Nothing too dire. And here in Manitoba, we're all uh, slouching towards herd immunity. No, we're not. But <laughs> herd immunity uh, is just a euphemism for uh, when your government does nothing and your boss makes you go to work anyway. Well, herd immunity. As we've kind of talked to, well, you and I, not on the podcast, but like the concept of herd immunity is is linked to full vaccination um, in a society to eradicate a virus, which is something that has happened with polio and smallpox. And now actually chickenpox is something that's starting to disappear. 
Um, kids don't even really get it anymore. They're vaccinated against it. Not if freedom has anything to say about it. Uh, so herd immunity is, is something that happens with a society that's reason like pretty much fully vaccinated. Um, and the concept is that um, everyone who can be and who responds to vaccines is vaccinated. And this protects those who can't respond or their immune systems don't respond to vaccines or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's not the idea that everyone gets the disease once and then has immunity because that's not how diseases work. Um, it takes generations to build up some sort of, of societal or, or population-based immunity um, and it involves the mass die-off of populations in the, you know, when it happens. Um, if uh, any of you are listening to my Clearing the Plains reading series, yeah. we know all about that already. It's already happened here. Herd, the uh, the freedom people who talk about herd immunity, they don't realize that it means everyone who's not naturally immune dies. And then the the leftovers are the ones who are... Uh, immune. Obviously, COVID isn't smallpox, but uh, well, you, can, you can ask the uh, indigenous folks how that how that went for them. And there's just you know there's countless um, you know with the Black Death, right? Like the the Black Death would come in waves and just gradually over over you know um, years and generations, you built up a population who was you know didn't necessarily die when plagues um, ripped through and um, you know. These things, like, that's not the only thing. Like, you, um, humanity has always been trying to find ways to deal with the fact that when you live in cities and large groups as humans, you are susceptible to mass disease. Um, sewer systems exist because of, of disease, because of cholera, um, because people were, were getting sick and eventually, uh, it was figured out, well, one, the Thames River in London started smelling too bad. The municipal sewer works, they took away my freedom to dump my chamber pot out my second story window. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like once people figured out that um, things like cholera were coming from water sources, uh, you start having the development of, um, you know, water treatment and sewage systems, um, germ theory... The idea of sanitation, um, all of these things like that's um, that are tied in with vaccines as ways to um, be able to safely live in large groups. Um, it's it's not a just let it run through and and do its thing because that you know if you have a virulent enough disease that always ends in a, a mass death or a mass disabling right like that's not just it's not just death it's um after the spanish flu you have you know thousands and thousands of people who survive but have neurological issues um beyond the flu and um you know families left without providers and things like that like it's um, it, it's so much more than just, uh, oh, you get it and then you're done. And I think it's, it's, yeah, you don't, you don't build up that much immunity just from getting it once. It's, no. um, like we, you have survivors sort of like, imagine like, yeah, living in a family with like the primary breadwinner and care provider, like killed off and there's no government support for your family. Uh, you're a teenager. Maybe you have to go to work 
yeah. now in the factory or the local land barons' fields, uh, things like that. You don't get to go to university. You don't get to develop fully as a as a person. You get psychological trauma from it, uh, mental illness. That's that sort of thing. I mean, like the mental illness you accrue during a, a lockdown is nothing compared to the mental illness of having. Uh, ro- you roll the dice, you know, and you think the odds are in your favor, and then, oops, uh, dad died. Well, uh, now and what? I mean, look at if if um, in Winnipeg here, of course, the news that has sort of emerged. I don't know, being the holidays, how much it's sort of spread um, through the city, but like. We have a, a school where a teacher and a principal um, have passed away over the holidays. Um, we only know details about the teacher. They they were triple vaxxed. They were boosted. They caught COVID and died of an immune reaction, a, a cytokine storm, it sounds like anyways, on Christmas Day, um, several days after contracting it at school, at work. Um, and then, like, the the psychological mental health effect of a teacher and a principal from a school dying mid-year um, is is light years more than the impact of learning from home for two or three or four weeks. You think those kids are going to remember this like for the rest of their lives, Yeah, perhaps? exactly. You're, and, and the staff and the, staff. the families of the kids, right? This, the, the Anyone teach- who works there and you know you yeah. see how your employer reacted to this yeah. and what they did? The the Winnipeg School Division Board of Trustees has put out a demand um, that the the government go to Code Red, but it's, um, you know, I've, I've seen no no updates or movement on, on anything there, but it's, it's just insane to think that we can go back um, on the 10th into a full class. You know, I have 30 kids in all of my grade five classes. Um, I have 26 in my grade sevens. Um, the one class of grade fives is kind of spread out, but the rest of them aren't. And the grade sevens certainly aren't. They're packed in like sardines. So if this is transmitting um, at that sort of rate, um, there's there's no way um, every kid in the city isn't going to have it, you know, within a week or two. Yeah, no hyperbole here. No. Like the, you read between the lines, and this is not conspiracy thinking here. The, <coughs> oh. That's, no, my throat's oh. just dry, it's just dry in here. <laughs> I took a, we actually have rapid tests, we were very lucky that, um, mm. you know, I'm from Saskatchewan. And we went back um, to visit briefly for one day. Yeah, before that, I was just going to say... Oh, yeah. If you, anyone's watching the government uh, press conferences right now, you really shouldn't. There's there's no point. They're yeah. not doing anything, and they're saying they're not doing anything. The yeah. point is herd immunity, and as long as you keep in mind that herd immunity means uh, we're choosing to let the old and vulnerable die. Like, we're... And, and, and not even to a the sane vul- person, not even the vulnerable. Not even the point. vulnerable. To a sane person, if you if you have if your brain is not broken by this point, that means you're choosing to kill people. Yeah. The government. You want your crazy conspiracy theory thing? The government is killing people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's that's your rant for for the day. Omicron yeah. Christmas. So I mean, he, like, um, I would say some people uh, there's like a real reactionary element to the 
like it's hurting kids mental health for them to be like learning remotely and i'm not saying it doesn't yeah um there is a i'd say there's not really um there is an academic effect but it's um here's the thing is that all these people who are screaming about the fact that remote learning doesn't work for everyone um, we're not screaming when it was pointed out that actual school doesn't work for every kid um, because not every kid has the EA support they need. A bunch of kids, like the ones I teach, are crammed into classrooms with 30 kids. Um, I can't be one-on-one with all those kids. If they need help, I don't get to see all of them. So in-person learning is also not adequate to meet the needs of students. Um, that's not... That's not the important thing right now. The important thing is making sure that um, everyone survives and comes out the other end so that we can come back together and and have an education system um, and have people. Yeah, that we, that we have things like an education system and a healthcare system yeah. after this. That it's not just... Com- I mean, they the government's done their best to dismantle them prior to the COVID ep- epidemic. We don't really have... A truly functional uh, healthcare or edu- education system to begin with, uh, yeah, which we needed before this. Now uh, with Omicron, hopefully it's the last wave. You never know; less lethal, more more virulent. More people will die of Omicron just because everyone's going to get it. Now you, we don't have a choice. I mean, just keep in mind the if you're listening to the uh, the government. Uh, health restrictions wherever you're living and whatnot and going like wait this none of this makes any sense you're a small business owner and you're like what are these stupid restrictions none of this doesn't make sense you're going to work and you're like what there's nothing about the workplace just keep in mind this is just theater um they're not doing anything restricting bars and restaurants honestly is rare explicit content but who gives a shit yeah um the what we know from the beginning being an airborne uh being an airborne pathogen it spreads in in enclosed places with poor ventilation yeah so they've done nothing to address that basically uh as i saw a good tweet basically uh uh what was it um socializing at night right <laughs> socializing at night covid's delight yeah uh workplace by day covid stays away yeah, that's the in- insane logic that that is being used here. Keep keep that in mind. There's nothing said about your workplace, which means if you're going to work, that means you're an essential worker. If you're staying at home, I'm sorry, you're not an essential worker. We don't need you to be working. If you're an actual person who's actually essential and needed to work, there's nothing to protect you. You are being sacrificed. Yeah. Throw workers and the old people like straight into Moloch's gaping maw is the uh is the government response. Well, and we'll we'll see what happens. I know that Quebec has um extended their school closure until it's either the 17th or the 24th until later in January. Um I just if they do try to open school, my, my personal theory is that that's why part of the reason we're not seeing the rapid tests being distributed in Manitoba is that, well, a bunch of them have been given to businesses, um, and that's not conspiracy. That is 
quite clear. Um, a colleague of mine has a couple friends who own businesses. They just have stacks of them at work. Um, that's why on social media, you see a lot of local businesses talking about their employees testing positive and them closing as a precaution um, because they're able to test because um, they have tests that were handed to the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce Commerce, um, and given out to businesses, tests that were intended for the healthcare and education sectors and have never been given out to education. Um, I've never seen a rapid test. Uh, i Apparently, I guess if you were non-vaccinated staff, you were going and taking rapid tests. You were provided rapid tests. But that's that's where they're going. They're going to Southern Health and places that have high numbers of non-vaccinated staff. They're going to businesses to keep their employees there, basically. Um, and uh, the government got caught. Think, you know, my theory, again, maybe that's conspiracy. But I, I think that this government thought that... The worst of it was over and that they could just uh, hand them out. They kind of got through the pandemic without, um, I believe they've received over 3 million rapid tests um, so far. Uh, I think that was in the CBC of Freedom of Information um, uh, pull on the data, but they they thought they could sort of hand them out to buddies in business um, and that it wouldn't come up. Um, but yeah, it totally. has. And I think that the remaining rapid tests that the government has are being held back to distribute to schools um, because they are planning to reopen schools and do a test to stay where kids have to like test to come to school. But if you have, I mean, like with the way that this spreads... Health, health Minister gonna... Audrey Gordon's insane photo op Yeah, where, where she's... In, Her and a couple volunteers are in some sort of warehouse putting rapid tests and masks in, into a into Ziploc bags. Yeah, just like, very strange. What the what, what on earth is going on there? Yeah, where is that warehouse? Why is the, why are there why are there protect why is there protective equipment in there that yeah. like a couple like a couple middle class middle aged ladies are getting together like putting together a christmas hamper of uh, rapid tests and you have the health minister there doing thinking this is a good thing for a photo op yeah this is insane very weird who's Just looking into this very strange um yeah so i mean not to i mean this is a bit of a downer subject i guess but um you know um i think i was up until this point i was doing a pretty good job of sort of mentally partitioning COVID and all that from my life. Like last year, I had very high anxiety all year about it. Um, and this year, you know, vaccinated and boosted. Um, but, you know, just hearing about the teacher and the principal passing away, like that just upends the basket. All of oh, my, yeah. my, the eggs Extremely of my, upsetting. the carefully placed eggs of my sanity have been tipped over it's just, it's disgusting. It's yeah. infuriating. You yeah. should be disgusted and infuri infuriated by it. Yeah. So, um, just kind of, yeah, working through that, trying not to get too um, worked up. Um, I'm hoping to see action on that um, by those who are in leadership positions 
soon. Um, but uh, yeah. I just personally, I am prepared to teach remotely. Um, I know it's a different story. I teach in a, a school where kids are, are pretty well off. Um, I know it's a different story for families that don't have the space, um, maybe don't have good technology or Wi-Fi, but at this point, we've done remote learning. We've done it several rounds. The kids know what's up. We know what to do. We know, like, the limits. We know, you know, how many hours online is good. What level of work um, can we expect? It's January, uh, which is not usually a heavy academic month anyways. You're coming back from break. The kids are discombobulated. It takes a few weeks to kind of get back into the swing of things. Um, and usually you find that the kids, um, at, speaking of like early and middle years, um, high school's different, but um, usually find that the kids are different after Christmas break. Um, they they have missed the routine of school and they're happy to be back. So, you know, that, that'll be tough for them um, if they're at home moving from break mode to school mode while not changing locations. That's That can be tough. And also the fact that um, last year when we went to remote learning after the Christmas break, we had warning. We knew before the break started that remote learning was happening. I gave my students packages. I told them exactly how remote learning would work. We practiced um, how to do it. And this year, I didn't have that. So I will have to, like, make up packages. The kids will have to come get them. We'll have to, if we go remote, uh, I guess I should say if, when um, we go remote, uh, we'll have to get that figured out. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's hard to see how going back works, um, how going back and staying back works. I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. Um, just simply if kids are getting sick, they're going to be at home. Um, kids are getting rapid tests. Um, at, I think it's like the first, and that's going to be a big debacle too, because um, I think the tests are being distributed to the schools and families are expected to come and pick them up um, that week. <clears throat> before school starts, that we're in the school, but they're not. Um, I think that's how it's supposed to be working. So you're going to have, we have 600 students. So you're going to have, we're going to have to try to distribute in some way 600 tests from one school in two days. Um, if we'd had the test before the break, we could have just given one to each kid to take home but that didn't happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of want to think of, talk about some nicer things. <laughs> yeah, we will. Okay, we should. That's, uh, we're at 25, almost 25 minutes. That's enough ranting about uh, Omicron Christmas, pretty much. But before we move on, keep in mind, the government's, Manitoba government's still sitting on $400 million of yeah. federal money that is supposed to go towards COVID relief or uh, PPE and stuff like that, yeah. uh, that they're not using. Their response is basically to be like, oh, sit, uh, only uh, only 50% of people can go in a restaurant now, and uh, beer sales end at 10 because yeah. kids uh, drinking beer uh, is what's causing this uh, whole 
pandemic. Yeah. Which is bullshit. That's insane. Strong language on the pod today. We can bleep it out if you want, like for kids. <laughs> I don't know. It's strong. These things call for strong language. Also, we know that ranting about it on a podcast that 20 people listen to True. doesn't matter. Yeah. What does matter, if you do happen to be listening and are concerned about what's happening in your area, you can do things. You have to actively do something in real life about it. So being on social media is fine. Venting about it with your friends is fine, which essentially is what we're doing right now. Um, it's how you get information out. But if you do want things to change and feel a little less like isolated and alone and get some good uh, good vibes going like you you do need to find other people who feel the same way as you do and get uh, get a little organized it doesn't have to be super formal or anything but chances are there's a group that in your area in your workplace in your community in your city that uh, resonates with you and does the kind of is trying to do the kind of work that you think needs to be done so um look them up on social media uh if you don't know what to do if you know us you can always find us and help you with some ideas we (laughs) john will i'm still i'm still on chill vibes mode as much as possible (laughs) and do try to do try to cultivate the chill vibes as much as you can as well you can that'll be our next topic here yeah like by all means most of the time cultivate chill vibes <laughs> unless it's absolutely unavoidable always cultivate the chill vibes do things that you love to do as much as possible whenever you can put in your little work if you're concerned about things that's as anyone would do your community center neighborhood facebook group you know start at your workplace wherever you are get a petition going go a bunch of you get together and go go bug your your HR team or whatever. Call your call your rep if you have a union. Things like that. What else? I don't know. But stay, but stay positive. Omicron's not super bleak. It, I mean, it is bleak, but it will pass. Something bleaker will take its place. Don't worry. Don't get all upset about that either. <laughs> uh, it's on, Christmas man. time. Come on. It's New Year's. What? It's New Year's, and I'll plug something that is hopeful and something that i am i am helpful uh, hopeful about then we can move on i recently did an interview for a different podcast uh with some workers who are working at the canada goose factory here in winnipeg and um me and a friend of mine talked to them for about an hour and like these people are awesome they're mainly a bunch of uh immigrant women who sew the ca- the fancy Canada Goose jackets that you have and your friends have, things like that. <laughs> I'm not, not, not Anyone who's listening friend, to this is but... <laughs> not is probably not wearing a Canada Goose jacket. But <laughs> if you are, like those people are paid minimum wage to work in a windowless, ventilationless factory uh, yeah. to make your fancy parka and then have uh, some bullshit posted on the internet about helping polar bears and and whatnot. Uh, these people organized their workplace. They won a union vote by over 86%. They unionized 1,200 workers, as I said, most of whom are immigrant women. They beat Bain Capital, like the founders of Vulture Capitalism, founded by Mitt Romney and a bunch of uh, El Salvadorian death squad families back in the 80s. Not exaggerating. 
Yeah. Uh, they beat them. A bunch of Filipino ladies beat Mitt Romney and <laughs> and Robert Kraft and a whole bunch of other people. Essentially. Yeah, it's good, folks. It's really good. If you want to know how to make your world better, how to do something useful and good with your, with your lives, uh, be like the Filipino ladies at the Canada Goose Factory. Like, they are my new heroes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so... I, uh, yeah, I've definitely been trying to cultivate, um, chill mindset. I guess part of that has been finding ways, um, my teaching load is a little easier this year, I'd say. Um, I'm teaching ELA and art, which for me are very sort of second nature things. Um, I've taught grade seven and grade five ELA before, so I've got lots of sort of tricks up my sleeve. Art, um, art I have to think a little bit more about because it's not necessarily my training, but I have good colleagues and the kids are nice. Um, and I, I have two afternoons off, uh, per six day cycle. So I've had a little bit more time to think about what, um, what are some things I could do at school to integrate, uh, what I'm interested in. And have I, I don't know if I've talked about this um, on the pod before. I mean, I've talked about natural dyeing and getting into that. Have you? I have. Yeah. Remember there's a, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a joke. You've talked a lot about natural. I've talked dyeing. a lot. Yeah. Like um, natural dyeing has showed up. This is like our 12th, I don't know, 10th or 12th episode, something like it's that. It's a lot. I think you've talked about natural dyeing on most of them. Yeah, and um, <laughs> I'm very much a, a rank beginner um, in the world of natural dyeing, but I've just been super interested, and um, it's actually something that fits really, really well into the grade 7 science curriculum to sort of start with, but it's something that can um, integrate, I mean, middle years... Um, you really want to do a lot of hands-on stuff with middle years kids. They're, um, especially the seven eights, they're sort of like hormone-addled, uh, just sort of straight academic work can be real tough. Um, and kids learn better when they're, when they're getting their hands on something and doing something rather than just l reading about it or hearing somebody talk about it. Um, so, uh... I taught my administrator is amazing. Um, and, um, my professional sort of growth plan this year has been around integrating things like gardening and natural dyeing into my professional practice as a teacher. So we um, found some funding and bought natural dye materials for the school. Um, in the next term, we'll see what things look like. Um, but uh, hoping to team teach with a colleague and do a unit. Um, grade sevens learn about particle theory, so solutions, excuse me, solutions, mixtures, concentrations, um, which works perfectly with natural dyeing. So we got that, and then um, can't talk um, about it until there's an official announcement, but um, got some important backing for a uh, more ecology-based uh, project that I'm, I'm hoping to do this spring. Um, so I've just been, yeah, I've been reading lots of books about nature, lots of books about, you know, dyeing and textiles and all these things. Did you get any good, good books for Christmas? I got an excellent book for Christmas. Ooh. Yeah, so John got me a 
wonderful book for Christmas, along with a great record. The um, record was Towns Van Zant, Our Mother the Mountain. Um, I'm a bigger Van Zant fan than John, but... Um, I figure if you already got Gene Clark, why do you need Towns Van <laughs> I like having as many as possible. Um, so that was nice. But the book um, was by one of my uh, favorite sort of nonfiction writers that I discovered when I worked at uh, the neighborhood bookstore and cafe, which no longer exists. Uh, used to be in Wolseley, just what it sounds like, a bookstore and cafe. And um, when it was slow, you would uh, arrange the books and clean them up and put them out. And I came across this book by Calvin Rutstrom called The Wilderness Cabin, um, which is sort of a how-to guide, um, how to build various types of cabins from, like, really rough to, you know, um, fancy, uh, log or frame cabins, um, just very clear, very practical, um, Rutstrom also sort of, um, mixes in sort of his his philosophy of of living in the wilderness with his writing. He was uh, a very well-known wilderness dude, I guess, um, who lived in Minnesota but would come to northern Ontario, Manitoba, to canoe, to, um, to set up winter camps, things like that. And, um, yeah, over the years, whenever I come across his books, I always make a point of buying them. And John bought me a book called Paradise Below Zero, which seems very relevant uh, <laughs> right now. Um, it's kind of, kind of our lives right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like the sort of, it's very cold uh, right now. And one of the things you can do safely is go outside. Um, and last year, one of the... Um, Things that I I bought for myself um, were snowshoes and some traditional type snowshoes. Um, And uh, I've been trying to do more more snowshoeing. Um, Not the last few days. It's been a little bit too cold. But uh, yeah, Paradise Below Zero. It's all about how to... The book is about... um, It's kind of like a how-to on how to camp outside in the winter. And it's written in 1968, um, but there's also sections in it that are his reminisces about um, spending time with um, Cree folks in northern Ontario that he had met in northern Manitoba, people who were still living a quite quite traditional lifestyle. Um, This would have been probably back in the the 30s um, that he's talking about. He's referring to when he's, he's a young man. He um, also talks a lot about Inuit people and First Nations. Of course, he is using outdated terms um, for those folks, but he um, he's very supportive of the idea that Indigenous people should control their land, um, that sovereignty over land in, in Canada and, and the states should be, um, especially over wilderness areas, should be returned back to indigenous people, um, and that they should be recompensed um, monetarily for the damage that has been inflicted on them by white people. Um, and Rutstrom believes quite deeply that um, the indigenous understandings of ecology and nature are are far superior um, to the 
ravages of, he doesn't refer to capitalism, he refers more broadly to sort of just white people, but... Um, but the, he means capitalism. Yeah, the, the ravages of the colonial capitalist state um, on on nature. And this is in 1968, so I think it's just a... It's and a, in America. Yeah, it's a very good reminder. I, some people like to say, you know, well, back then people didn't know better and... Um, you know, they didn't know about climate change or ecological oh. destruction or um, what's happening to indigenous people. It's like, no, if you wanted to know, you could know. You could know. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't all behind some sort of veil or no. locked away in a vault. You know, and it, this is not, he's not a, he's not an academic. This man um, dropped out of school in grade seven, uh, worked man. as a ranch hand in Montana, was a medic for the Navy during the First World War, and then basically worked as little as he had to to make enough money to just, um, you know, get the supplies he needed to go be in the wilderness. And once he started publishing books and figured out he could make a living that way and live in the wilderness basically full-time, that's what he did. Um, him and his <laughs> wife, eventually, him and his wife had sort of like a winter home in St. Croix outside of Minneapolis, but they had um, cabins, uh, I think he had a cabin in northern Ontario that he would go, that they would go to. Um, and that was, yeah, so he, he wrote about um, his sort of life in the wilderness um, and his sort of view on things for, for his entire life. And um, I think it's just, I just love... Um, I love seeing that perspective from the past and um, especially from a, a very like working class um, person who just sort of made their own way. Uh, you know, it was, I think it was because his, his father died or, or something like a loss of a loss of a, a parent um, that precipitated um, him dropping out of school and, and starting to work. Um but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I think I read that entire book in, like, one day. <laughs> and it was so good. Yeah, you did, pretty much. That's I just, just couldn't put it down. I gave it to you, and then you just, like, went away. <laughs> I couldn't put it down. <laughs> it was so good. I have actually ordered um, another one of his books from Amazon, um, uh, The Wilderness Life. Um, because they're I, not, I want to read the, I want to read it too. Yeah. They're, they're not, um, his books can be, um, a little bit tough to find. They, they have been reprinted by the university of Minnesota. Um, and that's, I have like an old copy from the seventies of the wilderness cabin, which looks fantastic. Um, but the university of Minnesota put a bunch of his, his books back into, back into print. Um, so but even then, um, they're not they're not always in stock uh, with booksellers. So I pick them up when I can, um, and yeah, just just delightful. And I've just been reading books about. I'm reading a book about owls now. I've just been digging the nature writing lately. That's the vibe. That's the vibe. We've taken a few drives over the holidays, gone to look for some owls. We haven't seen any owls, but we know we're out there. We know they're out there. We see yeah, people I mean, I, I assume that this owl book is going to um, give me some tips. It's called The Hidden Lives of Owls. And the person writing it is um, not an owl expert, but a... Uh, but an actual owl. An no. Oh. An enthusiastic <laughs> amateur like myself, uh, who's hanging out with 
owl experts, um, learning about owls, um, sort of observing them. It's very short. It's very readable. Um, I'm enjoying it so far. I've just started it, but, uh, yeah, I'm just finding it. I'm not in the fiction, the fiction, um, sort of mindset. I had uh, a couple of novels come in off my library holds and I just I haven't even cracked them. I think I'm just going to send them back and, and wait for summer. That's that's novel season. That's fiction season. Uh, I just want to... <laughs> that's for made-up stories. <laughs> that's made-up stories season. We only, I, get, I don't know. Winter, we only want to read things about things that exist in real life and have actually happened. <laughs> I am not mocking you. I agree. I think that's, I think it's a, it's well, perfect. I always kind of like, I just imagine, you know, being outside in the hammock or the sun reading books, being in the sunroom reading novels. That seems like more the, the vibe. Um, I think in the winter, I really start to gravitate more to, uh, more to nonfiction. We've had a good break. Honestly, it's been a, it's been a good break. Yeah. Can Tried we, out a few. Can we talk about going like seeing family? Yeah, I think so. We we sort of made the choice. We don't like, have to talk about it, but we did go. We did go do Christmas with our families. Yeah, very small. Um, we didn't do any big family gatherings. No extended, just sort of nuclear family. Um, everyone's vaccinated. So we know it, we could lose some points with the really serious virus heads out there. We apologize. We're doing our best, though. It's it's it is tough. Like I I know how serious it is, and again, especially with um, seeing educators lose their lives. Um, but it's it, I'm sure anyone who works an essential job where you do have to be out in the public, like I do. Like I work with between thirty and fifty other people, staff at school. I work with. There's 600 kids in the school. Um, there's not infinite bathrooms. There's one place you can eat lunch. Um, the kids are all eating lunch in their classrooms. So it's not like teachers can like go hide individually in their classrooms. Uh, the only place you do have is the staff room. And so everyone at my school is vaccinated in terms of staff, which is nice. But I've been eating with... 30 other adults, um, you know, for months. And I've been in classrooms with, um, I think I have a hundred, like around 120 different students that I interact with, um, that I, you know, in a two day cycle, part of my cycle, I'll see all of them. Yeah. So going to your family and seeing four other people once and going to my family and seeing four other people once is I'm no, like, mathematician, but uh, the odds and numbers checking out, it's infinitely, almost infinitely more dangerous for Jill to go to work every day than to, uh, and more, and both my family and your family, there's not a lot of people who are really going out and seeing as many no. people as you, for instance. No. So Everyone uh, else is pretty, everyone's, pretty tucked Everyone's in. really vaxxed. No one has gotten COVID since we've... Since we've been well, there, also been it's, it's been a, a week, so I I feel good about that. I mean, we're we're being shoved like headfirst into the COVID pool anyway. There was a, a bit of an like ulterior motive in going to Saskatchewan too. Not, I mean, obviously I want to see my family and everything, um, but 
the Saskatchewan government, um, I don't know if they've run out yet, but they have been handing out free rapid tests. You go to the co-op grocery store, and as you're checking out with your whatever you're buying, your butter, your bread, you say, can I have a rapid test? And they stick one in your bag. It's a box of five rapid tests. So At the co-op. At the co-op. So I went back home. My, my mom got a box for me. And I, we got another one on our way out, so I was able to bring um, a box back. We were able to test and, and see that we were negative. Um, I was able to share a box with a friend of mine who has uh, immunocompromised partner and a child who's under the age of immunization, um, both of whom work and, and both the parents work in highly public uh, places dealing with children. Um, so... I wish I could have brought a case back for for everyone that I know, but um, that's not quite possible. But uh, yeah, I wanted to be able to 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 get those rapid tests just to have on hand. Yeah, I mean, they have rapid tests you can go get for free at the co-op in Saskatchewan. Are yeah. you listening to this, Manitobans? The SO. <laughs> I think you could get the them, SO. The by shell this and one, the co-op. Th- this one gesture alone this one move alone now saskatchewan the province to our left that as manitobans we console ourselves by saying well at least we're not saskatchewan the one (laughs) province that's worse than us by doing this one gesture is infinitely now more civilized i wouldn't go that far (laughs) um the the saskatchewan government is also i'm saying the uh, bar is pretty low yeah the bar is very low the bar is underground um (laughs) but it's not that this is like other than this um i assume the saskatchewan government was like all right we're sitting on these take them um but uh they are otherwise not making good choices covid wise either in saskatchewan um they are not introducing any more restrictions um yeah i I can't remember what they're but it's not it's also not good uh what's happening um in in saskatchewan this is sort of like the one blip um on the radar that we were sort of able to um uh find the loophole and benefit from um but i mean that's you know we used one uh rapid test so there's four left so we'll just sort of hold on to those if either of us experience symptoms just to be able to know because the state of testing here is abysmal um we've had cars smash into the doors of uh of covid testing sites twice steer away well let's not get back (laughs) onto that um, but yeah, over the break, we... It's been... It's chaos. Over the break, we have been uh, playing board games. Oh yeah, board games. Learning some, some new board games. Um, I sort of last year, I got a little bit crazy with the board games. Um, just sort of getting some new ones. Most of them we got are good. Um, we tried out one, Ganymede, which... I think there's something lost in translation maybe for us. Need to do a little more research. The game mechanics didn't quite... Um, it didn't make sense. Didn't make sense. And we're so giving it the gay, the designer the it's it's benef- benefit in, of the in doubt. South Korea. So the, the, instructions the instructions are a little English as a second language kind of. Yeah. So we'll nothing maybe do wrong some, with that. We'll but do some some more research on. We couldn't um, understand it. Well, it was same with um, what game was it? Patchwork 
It's a German game. I had to look up some of the rules because the way that they were translated was not super clear. Um, but we also, we, uh, I was, I, as a teacher, I'm very lucky. I have such wonderful students, um, wonderful families, and um, I was lucky to receive quite a few gift certificates, um, and being a teacher, people assume naturally that you love bookstores, which works for me, because I do, um, and so I, I received some chapters, gift certificates, and was able to buy Ticket to Ride, which is something that I've wanted to acquire. We have one of the smaller games for a while, um, and I wanted to get the, like, the full-size game, and so we got the Europe uh, edition of Ticket to Ride. Um, I got Wingspan uh, for McNally. Um, we tried that one out, but our brains were a little too fried from trying to figure out Ganymede, so we'll have to give it a try again. But I do have friends who have Wingspan and like it, so um, I'm I'm confident that that one will be good once we once we get it figured out. It's got birds. I mean, it's birds. It's birds. Who doesn't like it? Everyone loves birds. Mm, if there's one I, I thing that's one good about that the pandemic, like birds, but it's uh, everyone's become a bird fanatic. Everyone now. but my one colleague. Um, well, they're just going to have to get left behind, I guess. Well, it's fine. Oh, well, they people live their lives. Like. But um, yeah, people are into birds. People are into mushrooms. People are into observing nature. Um, people are into observing their minds. Okay. You're just saying things. I'm into observing my mind. I know you are, dude. People are meditating. People are doing yoga. People are exercising indoors. People are observing lots of stuff. Yeah. You just got to um, you got to make sure that uh, your your mushroom hunting and your bird observing doesn't really veer into like you know Pokemon Go situations. Uh, you don't got to catch them all. You don't have to pick every mushroom you see. You don't even have to pick them. You can just take pictures of them. Hobbies can just be hobbies. They don't have to be obsessions. You don't yeah. have to be things that you bludgeon your friends and family members over the well, head yeah, with every time also, you see them. John also gifted <laughs> me with a mushroom knife. Uh, speaking of, I don't... Hobbies I have, don't have to be small businesses is what I'm saying. Yeah, I have not really um, done, don't do that. done a lot of um, mushroom picking, um, but... Um, you know, once I get a little more uh, experience, and not even picking them to eat them, but, you know, every once in a while picking some to take spore prints or observe or things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, John got me a little uh, mushroom knife. It It's sort of specially curved, has a bit of a serrated edge on the other side, and then it has, like, a little brush on the end, and it folds up. You can put it in your pocket. So it's cute. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's been. I'm. I'm very slowly trying to finish John's sweater. Trying to darn the sweater for a friend. Um, trying to finish sewing John's pajama pants. I did get him other gifts. He's not been giftless. Uh, this. Christmas. Oh, I got presents too. Yes. Don't worry about me. Um, there's just a. Uh, uh, I've done a lot of sewing for myself, but no sewing for John. So I've been uh, making him some comfy pajama pants. Um, so that's sort of this break's goal is to finish, finish the pajama pants before I go back. Yeah, sure. <laughs> John, that's fine if you want. John will be fine if he gets pants. Uh, yeah. But he's not pining. 
He's not pining for some, the pants. I'm not pining for pants. I have enough pants. <laughs> I have enough clothes. I don't. I don't re- really worry about it. If I mention anywhere in Jill's presence that I uh, in ne- that I'm in need of a piece of clothing, it tends to just like appear <laughs> magically. Mm-hmm. I can do things for myself though. Like I can shop for my own clothes. Oh, yeah. I do have things that I like. I I like certain styles of clothing. I'm I just, like. I'm just out and about more. That I do have hobbies. I read books. I do all the things that Jill does. <laughs> she uh, she just uh, handles the talking about them <laughs> part. Generally, we do a lot of things together. Mm-hmm. Like she's got the camera. If you she's got the camera, I do the driving. It's true. It's true. I, li- I like be doing the uh, the nuts and bolts, the the, yeah. f- the facilitating, the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. Yeah, so, I don't know, it's still, it's very cold today. Um, I, I've been out, it's um, it's actually not that bad because there's no wind. Uh, it is quite cold, I think if you were out, uh, standing out there for too long, you'd notice. But um, it's not the worst, the sunshine is nice, Uh it's not intolerable. It's actually it's actually perfectly fine. Like unless it's minus forty with the wind chill, if it's sunny out and the wind is down, yeah. like you will feel really good when you get outside. Just yeah. dress properly. Layers. You're from Canada. You know how to do do yeah. all this. It's all good. Yeah. So it's good. That means that the you know, the river is freezing more. We've gotten more snow. So I'm kind of looking forward to, I think, Saturday or Sunday are supposed to be, you know, up to minus 19, which is perfect snowshoe and weather. Beach weather. Yeah, beach weather. Um, no, I'm looking forward to getting out. Um, my kind of goal with the snowshoes is to, um, you know, build up my, my stamina and be able to really tromp up and down the Red River um, make it a little bit further up and down it uh, on the snowshoes. Um, kind of got to build up your, your, um, there's sort of like the stabilizing tendons in your hips, not sort of the up and down Your groin, tendons. your groin muscles. Kind of, yeah. They're, they're, um, the tendons that go sort of from your, your pelvis inward and they, they keep you stabilized. Um, but because when you snowshoe, you lift your knees, uh, a bit higher than you normally do walking, um, you can, you can strain those. So you gotta, you gotta build up those, um, in in Paradise Below Zero, um, I learned that there's actually Rutstrom um, tells us that it's uh, what is it called mal du raquette, so snowshoe sickness. Where, I mean, I think it's beginners usually with the snowshoes, but it can well, happen. That was French. Well, yeah, that was well mal du raquette, so okay. sickness of the snowshoes, raquettes. Bad raquette of the raquettes is uh, is is French for snowshoes. Snow rackets. Yeah, snow rackets. Yeah. Um, well, I got some of those. Mm-hmm. So um, apparently, this is this is a thing, a known thing that happens is um, uh, if you overdo it with the snowshoes, your your sort of leg lifting, uh, the things that let you lift your legs will uh, give out on you. You'll um, stop. You'll stop being able to lift your legs, and then uh, you'll be stranded. Well, you yeah, be able to that's walk. what he said, and it is that um, yeah, if it if it does happen, you can. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm just if, I, if that happened to me, I would just call John on my cell phone and be like, "Come get me from the river." But if you were, you know, living then and you were using the snowshoes 
tra to travel or you're a trapper or something like that, it's a much bigger problem um, if you're out on the trail and your your legs give out uh, and it's it's what you know it's winter and you may or may not have the supplies you need um, and it can take a few days to um, so I I did kind of so the first day I went out um, I was going down north uh, I was going north on the river um, and I got I don't know I want to say like a maybe a kilometer and a half down and uh maybe a kilometer and uh, I could feel the weakness starting in in sort of in my hips and so I made my way back and and I was certainly sore in that tendon for a few days after so I've experienced the snowshoe sickness the mal du raquette you made it back though I did I survived I didn't have to be rescued I was able to shuffle my way home um and I wasn't too debilitated uh in the days following, just a um, little bit sore, did some yoga, but um, it's good exercise. It's really good cardio. Um, and you're outside, you know, the snow makes things so peaceful. You, I saw a pileated woodpecker when I was out on the river. You know, it's such a different perspective being walking on the river and looking at the, the riverbank. Um, you could see all the little burrows and everything in the, in the riverbank or the creatures, um, I saw a couple of uh, deer just chilling uh, along the riverbank, just kind of like tucked up next to a snowbank. Um, yeah, it's 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 just a nice place to be, um, and you you get a good workout. Yeah, winter's winter's kind of cool. Yo, well, winter is cool because you can walk on the river. You don't see your neighborhood, but from the river very often. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a canoe or a boat or anything, no. but we live just like a couple blocks from from the Red River, and we go walking along it quite often. Yeah, uh, the Churchill Drive Park. Yeah, um, goes along where we live, and it's beautiful. But like once you get down on the river, you can see the riverbanks rising on on either side. You get a completely different perspective on where you live, and it's kind of cool thinking. Um, that like, these are the ways that, um, this is the way that people traveled, um, for thousands of years. Yeah. You're going down, you're going down the river. You're taking the river. Rivers are nature's highways. <laughs> well, the, yeah. Um, you know, the snowshoe, another piece of, of ingenious indigenous technology, uh, as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's. You know, it's not totally quiet, but it's, you get the fresh air, you get the snow, you see some woodpeckers, just a good time. Just a pretty uh, good time. People also are very delighted to see somebody out and about on traditional snowshoes. Mm. Um, is something, I've not been snowshoeing a ton, but every time I'm out, at least one person walks past me and they're like, oh! <laughs> look at your snowshoes like people are just i haven't just, seen those since i was a kid no it's just even it's young people they just like to see it um so you love to see it yeah and i i find the traditional ones like i have the huron um sort of what you would if you're imagining snowshoe what you would imagine in your head the sort of rounded beaver tail um sort of shaped ones with the long thin tail and the webbing um mine are are a neoprene 
webbing um, rather than a sinew. When I bought them, the um, wilderness supply was out of the traditional sinew type, um, but uh, it's still the same sort of bent ash. Um, they're still made in, in Quebec. Um, and, uh, they, uh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't used the, um, modern ones, but I just, my feeling is that the traditional ones, they just seem better. Um, I've seen people out at the parks with the modern ones that are narrower, um, the plastic and aluminum frame ones, and they just don't look like they do the same, the same job. Like you just, people don't look like they're floating as well with those types. No, what you want to do is float. Yeah. Just uh, short, but what I really wanted to talk about, an hour in after an hour of shooting the shit, <laughs> what I really wanted to talk about was uh, I wanted to know if you had any um, specific uh, Christmas memories from when you were a kid um, mm. that are poignant to you now, and maybe uh, any Christmas uh, movies or music since we're we're old and we grew up in like uh, a christmas story times <laughs> uh anything from uh from when you were a kid um sticks i don't out know to you? like <laughs> i can't think of anything that's like you know it's more of just like with my family <laughs> the way that they work it's more just like funny stories um i do have a really a story um that is embarrassing to me specifically about christmas where i learned an important well, lesson let's tell the listeners about it about materialism um <laughs> I, yeah so i grew up you know uh for a long time single mom and then stepdad on on welfare um my you know we would always get a christmas hamper from welfare um and uh presents were you know there was always presents but they were pretty low key um and um one year i think i might have been like i want to say 11 or 12 and i don't know i just had myself all worked up uh with the idea that um i never got anything for christmas that was just pretty like a statue or jewelry or something like that I must have like had a a new friend at the time who had more sort of like kitschy things in their bedroom and I was just I must have been jealous or something and um so I just had this idea in my head and uh but I was I was in Girl Guides also when I was going to a big camp the next year I think I must have been 12 um I was going to this big camp and I needed all this, um, like I needed a new sleeping bag, I needed camp stuff, um, I needed like a set of enamel plate and bowl and stuff to take with me. And, Little Calvin uh, Rutstrom over here. Well, me now. <laughs> Absolutely, give me that stuff. But 12-year-old me who had uh, had these ideas, um, and then I it came to Christmas and... I opened my gifts and it was like a sleeping bag and these these plates and things that I knew my mom had to buy anyways for Girl Guide Camp. <laughs> and I had a absolute meltdown. <laughs> I was so upset. I was like, these are things you had to buy me anyways. Nothing here is just to be nice. And <laughs> had a just an awful, awful 
tantrum, which is not, I did not have very many of not those. Not a good look, dear. Not many of those growing up. I was usually pretty good. Um, my brother is a lot worse for not understanding we were poor. <laughs> Generally speaking, I knew. But I you were just, aware. I just lost it. And um, my poor mother, from that Christmas onwards, um, always made a point to buy me something that was purely decorative and <laughs> this un, like it would just make me so once I kind of got older once I was like I don't know I want to say into university and I realized that like I traumatized my mother by having <laughs> this tantrum about getting perfectly useful things that I would want yeah. Um, some of which I think I still own somewhere. I don't even know, but, um, I, you know, I, and then I was, you know, 21 and my mom would give me a fairy statue and I was like, okay, like I've, bro I broke. <laughs> that's what she, that's why she does it. I, yes. Yeah. This is what I she knows. Broke she, her you didn't when break her. Like she's just passively trolling you. No, she's, <laughs> she's my mom. That's not my mom's style. She's just genuinely, should not have felt bad in the least, but I made her feel bad um, as a 12-year-old. Like, I just, I cringe so hard inwardly every time <laughs> I think about it. Um, I have finally talked her out of doing this. So she has, I, I think by the time I was 22, I was like, look, I just don't like fairies anymore. I'm an adult. And so I kind of, I, I managed to get her to stop. Um, I might have been closer to 30 by the time I got her to really stop doing it. But um, she did, she she does still go rogue. Um, but at least, like, she did buy something decorative, but it's something decorative that I would have bought for myself. Because this year she got John and I a joint gift. And it is a, like, life-size metal great blue heron that is solar powered and lights up for the garden and it's awesome <laughs> it is really awesome it'll actually. be really cool yeah. so very funny of her that was kind of like because i when she asked me what i wanted i was like oh you know maybe some sewing stuff a place to put my thread like i don't know ever since like past the age of like 22 once i started living on my own um, so I guess be even when I was like 19, my first apartment, as soon as that happened, my Christmas gifts were like, can I have like pots and pans and practical house things, uh, grocery money. <laughs> um, but, uh, she, I don't know, she just saw this bird and she thought, and I was, I was very proud of her because it is actually something that I like now. It's not something that teenage me liked. <laughs> that she was remembering from it's something that that i i like and appreciate now so i was very impressed very touched uh that my mom got this large metal bird for us <laughs> and then we forgot it in saskatchewan um but yes, we'll go we back to get it for spring break <laughs> or or earlier <laughs> yeah um sorry about that i feel like it's my fault well we just had a lot of bags uh i took um yeah, I took board games and stuff like that. So well, I feel bad because I all my chocolate is in there. It's true. Your new underwear, your and chocolate. And my new underwear. Uh, my, my 50 I was relying bucks on is those. in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, 
We need that stuff. Well, so it's it's back there, but it's waiting for us. Uh, the metal bird. We can't put the metal bird out till spring anyways, so. It's true. It's fine. Um, but we'll get it back uh, before then. Yeah, I think that's pretty much... That's a good story. I don't have too much, uh, I guess, Christmas movies. You know, my family would always watch It's a Wonderful Life. Um, my Classic. personal uh, favorite Christmas movie, we haven't watched it, um, but I can really watch it anytime, is uh, my my like adult favorite has become The Lion in Winter, uh, which is a, a movie from, uh, is it 68, 69, with uh, Peter O'Toole, Catherine Hepburn, it's based on a play, um, and it's, uh, it's actually Anthony Hopkins and Timothy Dalton. I think it's both their film debuts. And um, Patrick Stewart? No, Patrick Stewart is in like, the remake one. Oh, um, right. But uh, it's based on a play, and um, Peter O'Toole is Henry II. Uh, Catherine Hepburn is uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine planted genets um and the premise is that Eleanor Rakutain has and this is based on on history she's been um exiled to a castle um or a nunnery basically a castle nunnery um so that she can't cause any more trouble because she's tried uh to overthrow Henry several times at this point on behalf of her children and uh, so she's sort of locked up, so she can't uh, cause any more trouble. But he springs wives, her for- folks. Hey, am I right? <laughs> he springs her for Christmas. Um, and uh, Anthony Hopkins is Richard the Lionheart. Uh, Timothy Dalton is the King of France. Um, and uh, they're all kind of converging um, on one of Henry II's castles um, in in France um, for the holidays. And so it's just sort of like, um, I think it takes place over like day, two days. Um, but it's just it's basically a story of how of everyone, how everyone's Christmas gatherings go <laughs> every year. <laughs> It's if just you a have normal an Christmas gathering. Backbiting family, I guess. Who um, doesn't? My family is pretty chill. Uh, so, but um, it's just it's just wonderful. Um, O'Toole and Hepburn are amazing. Uh, the dialogue is fantastic. Uh, there's uh, a gay interlude with Hopkins and Dalton. Shut up! Wonderful. No. Which, where is that? That's well Dalton. because they're like former lovers. Like the King of France they're and bro- Richard Lionheart. Oh, they're right. Right. Yes. Um, it's just a it's just a hidden gem of a movie. I feel like I feel like it should have more recognition as a Christmas movie. Um, I did see some people tweeting about it this year, so maybe it's catching on. Uh, but I watched it. Our one of my medieval studies profs um had us watch it. Uh, because it it um it's based on a play, and of course it's you know, it's not based on any surviving record of, of <laughs> these happenings. Um, but its depiction of medieval life for aristocrats is, is actually fairly accurate um, in that um, it shows that, you know, of course there's finery and things like that, but um, when Henry needs to go out and, um, you know, wave at the peasants for Christmas, he just sort of like, 
he's wandering around in his, you know, regular brown whatever clothes. He's not he's not wandering around his dirty old drafty castle in in purple ermine or anything like that. He he throws on the robe and sticks the crown on when he's got to go out and, you know, wave at the peasants as the king of France arrives. Um but other than that, um you know, he's he's walking across the yard and ch- kicking the chickens out of the way and welcoming the the king of France. Um, and so it's just very, um, at least my professor just sort of said it was, you know, um, an actually reasonably, uh, accurate depiction of, of sort of medieval, um, the life for medieval kings and, and queens. Yeah. I mean, our business aristocracy is pretty much the same (laughs) now anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a fantastic movie if you can. I don't. I didn't see it streaming anywhere, which is unfortunate. Um, I have a copy on DVD, uh, but uh, if you can find it to watch, I highly recommend *The Lion in Winter*. There is a remake with Patrick Stewart and Glenn Close, which I've never watched, um, but it's Patrick Stewart, so I assume it's good. Um, but uh, the if you you really should watch the uh, the O'Toole Hepburn version, just fantastic. Yeah, I, I do like the Muppet Christmas movies. Um, very yeah, I didn't to see the Muppet Christmas Carol till I was in my thirties, so I didn't, or I probably did see it, but it never really like left a, a big impression. But that's one that people our age seem to remember really fondly, and it's I've have seen it recently. It's well done. It's a good. I can see why it would have uh, caught. Yeah. It didn't really catch for me. I don't. I don't know why. But the whole Christmas Carol story is a really good story absolutely anyway and yeah. the muppets doing it is really awesome yeah i mean it's the same as like a wonderful life i didn't grow up watching that either although you did yeah you i just did really introduced me to it's a wonderful life and that's just a top-notch christmas yeah. movie too i mean if you want to talk about movies that get to the heart of what christmas actually means in a religious sense like it's one of the religious holidays that i think you can feel like unironically actually good and positive about yeah no matter what religion you are uh you don't have to be super christian to like really get it because it's the only one that's that's like there is uh there is hope for the world uh you should uh like humanity and kindness and love is actually what the universe is all about um you know yeah. All that stuff. Uh, it's not, it's pretty clear. Yeah. I do usually get to watch some Christmas movies at work. Um, although I, um, well, the last, the last week of school was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And um, report cards are already done. We've got this weird, not full week. And so we watched a lot of movies uh, before the break. Um, but I, I made the mistake of giving the grade fives uh, a choice that included a choice I didn't want to watch. So, of course, that is the one that the most kids voted for. Uh, so I had to endure another round of the Polar Express. Uh, so I, I've made a vow that I'll never give children the choice of watching that one again. I hate it. It's awful. Just a creepy movie. Don't like it. Um, but... Uh, I wanted them to pick Paddington 2 because I've been hearing that that's actually a really good movie. <laughs> Have you heard this? Uh, 
No, I think this was someone who brought it up. I have your, a coworker uh, that is yeah. a, a Paddington 2 evangelist. Um, and we were, were we talking with like other adults like a month or two ago? No, that was at my was that your, staff uh, Christmas office party. Christmas party. Yeah, my staff Christmas party. People, there was like other grown men being like, yeah, it's actually really good. <laughs> uh, so Paddington. I wouldn't know. Maybe we should watch Paddington 2. Paddington 2, apparently a good movie. Um, it's always, I think it's always good to know which kids' movies um, are tolerable uh, as for adults uh, as well. So it's always good to be knowledgeable about. Um, which ones you think kids will that the kids will like that you actually also like? I have some Christmas memories too. Okay, thanks for seg- throwing it back to me eventually. <laughs> um, I when I was a kid, uh, winter was my favorite season. Mm-hmm. I think naturally, lots of kids love winter. Oh yeah. At some point, when as we grow up, we stop like loving winter that so much. I really haven't figured it out. Being cold really isn't that much of a problem. No. It really it really isn't. Everyone's like, it's cold. Yeah, it's it's cold. So so what? You can you can do stuff out, outside pretty much infinitely. Yeah. What's the what's the deal? You don't even have to do your Wim Hof exercises <laughs> to enjoy it. You can just go outside. You can build snow things. You can yeah, build kids, things out of oh, snow. Kids love winter. You can it's like you can make sculptures in your backyard, and nobody nobody cares. Like yeah, no, kids are kids are probably even as a grown up, you can do that. The, the transition comes between like around when they turn twelve, thirteen. That's when teenagerhood kicks in. Um, that's when you can really see a drop off in their uh, winter enthusiasm because they start worrying about looking cool, uh, which doesn't involve wearing a lot of outerwear. Right. So, well, yeah. although you can. The yeah, I guess too, too too cool for comfort, as yeah. a friend of mine used to say. Yeah, uh, that's the teenage mindset. So you you loved winter as a I kid. I loved winter and Christmas. Christmas gatherings were really good as a kid. Uh, gigantic families on both sides. Yeah. Um. So like lots of cousins to run around with and and have fun with and getting presents always rules. I'm sure I was a, a bit of a. I don't know a bit of a little prince about some of, some of the presents <laughs> that I got, as every every child, literally every child is. Mm-hmm. So like you, you do have to. Uh, you will break your parents' hearts a couple times, and that's just part of the the deal uh, with Christmas presents. They know this. We know yeah. this. It's a uh, it's all fine, and uh, but mostly, uh, mostly. Uh, mostly pretty awesome and uh we don't jill's getting cold so she wants me to wrap it up after talking about for <laughs> half an hour about her to avoid background noise go turn it back on if you it's want it's getting quite cold i'll edit out the squabbles <laughs> but uh yeah big families on on both sides on one side my grandparents uh owned a resort in the white shells and mm. i remember a couple times going out there for christmas with a big lake in the forest and snowmobiles and snow and tobogganing down yeah. like a, just an seemingly endless hill from the uh from the top of the driveway right down to the lake oh edge. yeah that would be a, a real like there's a cabin in the way now but i couldn't yeah the cabin was built that would have just been a straight 
pretty awesome. Straight shot. Like riding with my dad down uh, snowmobile trails right. between in between lakes that you couldn't get to during uh, the summertime. Just an endless, just like a, a winter like paradise. Just a different universe and a Narnia of delights. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, that's a pretty delightful. good one. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, my uh, the other side of the family uh, would rent a big lodge on another right. Lake. Yeah, we've been and, to that, and we've been to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jill's been to that. That's in within her uh, within her, her existence, mm-hmm. and that was that was always good too. So yeah, and of course the endless every year parade of uh, multiple uh, pageants, uh, either through school or church, where you have some sort of obligatory role or part you have to say uh which is just something you had to endure mostly (laughs) i think that's that's where we you and i are a bit different i mean for me um christmases were mostly nuclear family even though i do have a big family once in a while we would go to regina or there'd be a few cousins around um but mostly we did christmas day at home nuclear family my we'd go to my grandparents like we usually do like my my mom's parents when they were still living um and we'd do supper christmas day but um we never did huge all-out family gatherings uh for christmas and um yeah we didn't really have my parents are are both farm kids um and uh are not not overly outdoorsy like i think they've sort of they both feel like they've they've they put in their time they put in their time (laughs) being outdoors and they're which is fair if you grow up on a farm (laughs) yeah yeah, you've totally put in your time yeah Uh, you don't have to go outside anymore if you're if you're a grown-up yeah i didn't i didn't grow up camping with my family i grew up doing it with girl guides but um i'd actually do more outdoor stuff in the winter with the girl guides we'd we'd go um you know, um, tobogganing and, and stuff like that. Um, I did have friends in high school that had farms, um, or snowmobiles. So, um, my friend Kayla had, um, older siblings who had snowmobiles that they would bring down at Christmas when they were visiting. And so we'd rip around town (laughs) on the snowmobiles. Uh, and then I had friends, uh, a friend whose family had a ranch. And so, we would go out and it's more like a winter, a general winter activity, but we'd, there was like a nice creek and, and stuff on their land. And so we'd, we'd take the snowmobiles out and um, take supplies out and build a fire and roast hot dogs out, out uh, in the winter. Oh yeah, you um, do that. But that was do less that like, yeah, it was less like family oriented, more just sort of general winter, winter things um, that we, we would do. Winter delightful for all. Hmm. Okay, let's. Uh, we can shut it down now. We can turn the furnace back on. <laughs> turn the we can turn back the fridge on. back back on. We can uh, feed the cat. We're gonna order. Um, I'm gonna try to be more strategic this year uh, in ordering New Year's Eve Chinese food. Last year, I ordered. <laughs> I I guess I just had the idea late. I was, whatever. It didn't click in my head that every single other person in the neighborhood would also be ordering Chinese food for New Year's Eve. Um, and so I ordered food at like seven. Vlad was playing with the microphone cord. Yeah, cat, <laughs> cat, cat be wandering. And uh, so I ordered Chinese food at like 7 p.m. last year, New Year's Eve, and I think I got it 
by like quarter after nine. Um, and so I'm trying to be... Gotta order it now. What are we doing here? Well, they open at four. And so I'm going to put in ah, the order. It's almost four. Right at four. And to pick up. Good timing. And then we can warm it up later on. So that's kind of my... What are we going to watch? Oh, I don't know. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, something. Terminator 2? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> something to ring in the new year. Uh, Do we have to stay up till... Rent, uh... rent The Last Duel? Yeah, see what Something. the hubbub's all about. Ridley, Ridley Scott. I, I'll, I'll keep watching that garbage. I feel like we stayed up last night, but most years I don't even stay up until midnight. We don't have to stay up till midnight anymore. No. I'm 40. Yeah, exactly. I don't have to do that Too anymore. <laughs> I can if I want, but yeah. like nobody's saying I have to. Right. Well, uh, we hope everyone stays safe and uh, enjoys your winter. Remember. Uh, Enjoy your winter. Layer up. Get some woolens. Layer up your body. Layer up your mind. There's good birds out there. There's fresh air. Go check it out. Uh, Cold actually helps your body produce endorphins. It does. So, you know, get out there. Get out there. (laughs) All right. See you in the the new year, hopefully. And uh, all the best. And uh, don't be be too angry. Also, don't be one of those two, like, weird people who gets weird at years. 2021 did not harm you specifically it's not the year's fault it's not the year's fault you know this is just an arbitrary it's systems not years systems not years and it's not boomers fault either like no more no more of this ages ageism stuff or yearism stuff i mean come on look around you you know what why it's bad get into nature get into caring about your community do what you need to do and uh yeah do it be well do what you need to do. Remember, it's not 22's, 2022's fault. Yeah. Be kind to 2022. All right. All catch right. you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Your eyes see conclusion in all this confusion of mine. Though you and I both know it's only the warm glow of wine. Got you to feeling this way But I don't care, I want you to stay And hold me and tell me You'll be here to love me today The children are dancing The gamblers are chancing They're all Windows accusing the door of abusing the wall But who cares what the night watchmen say The stage has been set for the play So just hold me and tell me You'll be here to love me today gone, but a few stars hang on to the sky Where the wind's running free, though it ain't up to me to ask why 
the poets are demanding their pay And they've left me with nothing to say Except hold me and tell me You'll be here to love me today Just hold me and tell me You'll be here to love me today